Father God, thank you that you are a God who's made yourself known and uh, you have spoken and we pray that you would uh, work through your word today. Uh, in Philippians, we pray that uh, you would work in our hearts, uh, transform us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 30. Do everything without grumbling. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Timothy and Ephroditus, I hope in the Lord Jesus to to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not to those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things are going with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, You may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Well, friends, it's great to see you again. Um, I shared last week, if you were here last week, um, I shared uh, about going to watch Queensland versus New South Wales state of, uh, state of origin rugby game a, few, a couple of months ago. And how, when I was there, um, it kind of felt like I was a, a, a bit of, in, in a bit of a foreign outpost. You know, a bit of a, uh, uh, we were citizens of a strange land who follow a different code. Uh, and we saw then, we saw last week, this is 
just to fill you in if you weren't here, we saw last week how Paul uses this idea of being a citizen of a different city um, in this key verse in his letter, which we started with last week. Back in uh, chapter 1, verse 27, it's the key idea that sits over the, really over the whole letter, actually. Uh, Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Or, as we saw last week, the kind of what's behind that, uh, you could literally say, Live out your citizenship. Live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, For Paul, through Jesus, we've been given this new citizenship. The Philippians, uh, again, this is a bit of a review, the Philippians were proud citizens of their city. They were Roman citizens in a a Greek kind of area. Uh, But Paul says, if you've believed in Jesus, if you have heard the good news about who Jesus is, if you've received the forgiveness of sins that he gives you, if you've entrusted yourself to him, then you have a new citizenship. Your primary identity isn't as a member of a colony of Rome. Your primary identity is as a member of the colony of heaven. Uh, Your Lord is not the imperial conqueror Caesar. It is the crucified and risen Nazarene Jesus. And this is totally different from any other kind of alternative citizenship we might have. You see, there's not really much at stake uh, with me and my fellow East Coasters gathering together to watch the rugby, right? There's not, there's not a whole lot at stake there. It's not, I mean, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. It's not core to my identity. Um, and I know some of you are probably hoping to convert me to the dominant sport culture of this strange game where you can bounce a ball and it's not a knock-on. <laughs> What's with that? <laughs> um, and look... Uh, There'd, <laughs> there'd be nothing at stake, right, if I did. Okay, it's not a big deal, it's just a bit of, it's a game. Um, but for the Apostle Paul, it's totally different when you get to the alternative city of the church, of God's people gathered through the gospel. There is a lot at stake when it comes to their life together as citizens of heaven living in Philippi. It matters a great deal how they live out their citizenship, that they do it worthy of the gospel. They don't take on, it matters a great deal that they don't take on the assumptions and loves and the rules of the code of the city around them. Uh, we saw last week it matters, it matters that citizens of heaven let the gospel shape every part of their life, how they relate to each other, particularly and the start of chapter 2, particularly in humility, uh, valuing each other above ourselves, looking out for the interests of others, um, shaped by the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We're going to see today, though, that living lives worthy of the gospel, it matters not just for our relationships here, it does, but it matters too for our ongoing growth and progress as citizens of heaven. And it matters also for our witness to the world around us. Um, Our own sort of growth as citizens of heaven, but also our witness to the world. And that's kind of how we're going to take the rest of this passage. Um, As you get to verse 12, it should be up on the screen, you can kind of feel the urgency of Paul as he goes on. He's just written 
Uh, if, if you have your Bible open, you can see just above that we've, where we finished last week, he's just written this incredible, this incredible reflection on the heart of the gospel, on who Jesus is. Um, Jesus, God the Son, who, the, uh, was, uh, who gave, up, he gave himself up for his people, even to death, and is now exalted to the highest place. This incredible poem, really, that Paul writes for us. And right off the back of this, Paul's just delved into the heart of the gospel, the heart of what, what God has done for us in Christ. What is it that he then wants to go on and impress upon the Philippians and, and upon us as those who down the track are still reading this inspired letter? He writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's such a powerful thing that Paul writes here. It's, it's like his call to action to keep progressing as a Christian. Uh, but sometimes it, we can read this sometimes a bit like uh, it's a kind of solo man ad. I don't know if you remember the solo man ad back in the 80s and 90s. For, for no apparent reason, he'd kayak down a cliff through a jungle over a waterfall into a snake-infested river, and then he'd crack open a solo because it's light on the fizz, so you can slam it down hard. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we, can kind of, we can kind of think of what Paul is writing here, kind of like we're, uh, he's encouraging that kind of mentality, to call to you as an individual to just keep pressing on, keep rowing the boat, keep paddling. Um, but what we can miss is that this... First of all, it's not actually a call to us as individuals. It's first of, it is, secondly, but first of all, it's a call to the church, to this gathered group of citizens of heaven. The church is made up of individuals, of course, and it does apply to us individually, but this working out of our salvation is fundamentally something that happens together. Paul's writing this to the whole church. He's also writing this to those, you notice, who have always obeyed, those who have always obeyed. Um, Paul looks at this church in Philippi, uh, who have, as a whole, they have done this. They have obeyed, and not just as individuals, but as a whole group. Uh, you find out they have a track record of obeying Jesus, and that's great. But isn't it interesting that they still need to hear this urging of the apostle to keep going, to keep growing together, keep working out their salvation. And he doesn't say work for your salvation. That would be totally against everything that Paul believes. But having received the gospel freely by faith, work it out into every part of your life. You never move past needing to hear this. Friends, you never move past it. As a part of this church family, together with your brothers and sisters, work out your salvation with fear and trembling into every part of your life. Uh, you need to hear it just as much if you've been a Christian a long time. Paul knows it can be very easy to become stagnant in the Christian life. Uh, to have your enthusiasm fade, your expectations of God fade, your pursuit of holiness fade. Within the family of this church, the Lord's Apostle urges you not to grow cold, 
but to continue working out your salvation with fear and trembling, remembering the incredible wonder it is to be given citizenship in God's kingdom, submitting every part of your life to his lordship. We need to hear that call, that strong call, but we also need to hear what Paul goes on to say next. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There's two realities here that Paul holds on to both of them. It's really important that we keep holding on to both of them. Uh, sometimes Christians can hold on to just the first one and kind of have your Christian life as marked by this call to action kind of focus on our activity, our obedience, and that becomes the dominant theme of your Christian life. It becomes very easy to become proud and hard and to forget that the dominant theme of the gospel is not what we do but what God has done in Jesus and what we freely receive. The Bible doesn't give these calls to action without that underlying framework of God's grace, what he has done, what he is doing. Uh, that's what Paul does here. The reason that we can work out our salvation, did you, did you notice there actually, the reason that we can even want to work out our salvation uh, is because it is God who first works in us. This isn't an equal partnership. This isn't God helping those who help themselves. This is God's sovereign electing grace. It is his work in us that gives us both the desire and the power, the strength to obey him. So the kind of um, Christian life that just focuses on me and my activity, um, that's not what Paul's got going on about here, but do you notice he doesn't go to the opposite extreme either? Uh, you might have heard the phrase, just let go and let God... Uh, it kind of captures a view of the Christian life that says there's no room for you to strive for anything. Um, don't, don't do that, that's legalism. Um, so if you're stuck in sin, don't make any conscious effort to get out of it. You just wait for God to do something to fix it. Sometimes you can come across that kind of way of thinking about being a Christian. But that, I mean, he gets something right, right? God is sovereign, but it forgets that what God is doing in us is precisely to give us the will to act, um, to strive for his purposes, to work out our salvation seriously and with energy and with determination, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God's what God does is first and fundamental and we can't do anything without it. It gives incredible comfort, but it flows out in our own lives into real concrete action, our, our own working out of our salvation. Paul holds both those things together. Um, so this is big stuff, right? He kind of, this verse, in a way, captures so much about the whole Christian life. It captures so much. And it's a bit of a, a kind of high point. So I, I think it's actually a bit of a surprise what Paul goes on to say next. Um, what would it look like for you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to act, to fulfill God's great eternal purposes? Maybe you'd come up with some great impressive kind of thing. I probably would, some great act of discipleship, but that's just because I 
have this instinctive solo man mentality. Um, What does Paul see as the outworking of this? In verse 14, he zones in on the very mundane, everyday struggle of life together. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I mean, you couldn't get a more countercultural verse, right? Uh, grumbling and arguing is like a national pastime for us. I don't know if you've done that. Sometimes I kind of rethink conversations I've had. Uh, it's very easy to find conversations that are just about 90% uh, my immature, thoughtless grumbling, my irritated, argumentative spirit. Um, there's some situations where I think if we didn't grumble and argue, we'd have nothing to talk about. Right? But Paul says it cannot be like this in this new society of the church. To be a citizen of heaven, to have received Jesus and all that he is and has done, to have received that freely and to be marked by a grumbling, dissatisfied, self-centred, argumentative spirit. Well, you can see how offensive that is to our Lord, can't you? Our Lord who gave up every right. He could have grumbled about us. He actually, he actually could have. <laughs> and it would have been right in his rights too. But he gave himself up for us. But it's not just offensive to Jesus to live in that kind of a way. It's, you know, see what Paul goes on to say? It's crucial for our own witness to the world. Verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become pure, blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This new society, this colony of heaven was never meant to be hidden. Right? It's never meant to be tucked away unseen. We are meant to be a beacon of light in a world of darkness. And the way that happens is through a united, gospel-saturated church family that refuses self-centred grumbling and arguing, that holds firmly, that clings for its very life to the word of life, the message of the gospel that has come to us. And if you're that kind of com- if we're that kind of community, Paul says, you are going to stand out. You are going to stand out. Uh, no, not just stand out, right? You can stand out for all kinds of reasons. You could stand out uh, for being self-defensive, harsh. Or, you, know, you know, you could stand out for all kinds of reasons. But be this kind of community, and you'll shine out an unmistakable, holy. White lights testifying to the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul longs for in this church that is going well but that needs to keep going, keep striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what gets Paul going, right? That's what gets him up in the morning, what he gives himself for, to see this kind of community established and flourishing in Philippi. That's what Paul goes through sleepless nights for. 
That's what Paul gets beaten up for. That's what Paul gets put in prison for. He goes on, And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ, be this kind of community, then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, it's a bit of a complex kind of image, but it's basically using Old Testament sacrifice language imagery to talk about his own life as a, as a drink offering being poured out, spent in God's service. Even if that happens, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's not a kind of fake joy, you know, a kind of empty happiness that covers over the very real struggles of life. It's the joy of someone who has his heart set on the gospel and who, even if everything else is going wrong in his life, if the gospel is going out and flourishing, he can have this kind of a joy, even if it means incredible hardship for himself. It's a deeper joy and he wants those reading, did you notice that he wants those reading, he wants us to share this kind of joy. He wants the Philippians. He wants us to have the same kind of gospel heart that recognises the sacrifice of living as a citizen of heaven, that sees it, that knows it's going to be hard, but that gives that sacrifice willingly and even joyfully for the sake of the gospel. Well, friends, that's kind of the guts of what Paul says in this, this passage. As a citizen, as citizens worthy of the gospel, grow together. We need each other to do that. Keep on growing in the gospel, but also shine together. As you grow together, shine together. But what Paul does next is he kind of gives two real-life examples of this inaction. He writes these letters of recommendation um, for two model citizens. I'm not really an, an interviewer, um, not very experienced in that, but I, I'm told that letters of recommendation are very important. <laughs> well, this is kind of like Paul's letters of re- letter of recommendation for these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, I won't go into the details, but do you notice how these two guys are sh- show, uh, show the kind of gospel-shaped lives that Paul has been talked ab- uh, talking about? The, the, firstly, he talks about Timothy. Um, he's planning to send Timothy to them as soon as he sees how things are going uh, with himself. So, uh, he's probably, Paul's um, awaiting the outcome of his trial. He's waiting for that to be settled before he sends Timothy to the Philippians with news about how it goes. But do you see how Timothy shines as a gospel citizen? Uh, Timothy had the same mindset as Jesus. Picking back up on verse 3 earlier in the chapter, he didn't operate out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He humbly valued others ahead of himself. And we're told in verse 20 that he has a genuine concern for the Philippians. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Timothy stands out because unlike the people around him, he doesn't just look out for himself. He doesn't look out for his own interests. Uh, In verse 21, uh, it's kind of like, go with this image, it's kind of like Timothy has a pair of gospel glasses on. right? Uh, The lens through which he sees everything. 
the lens through which he looks at his life, is not, how can I serve my own interests? Timothy has a gospel lens through which everything gets filtered and the question he asks when he looks at everything is, how can I serve the interests of Jesus Christ? And, and Paul loves Timothy. Uh, Paul himself was single and didn't have kids, but with his new identity as a citizen of heaven, he was part of God's family and Timothy was like a son to him, selflessly serving in the work of the gospel and Paul commends him for his gospel service, this selfless gospel servant. Paul commends him to the Philippians. But then uh, he goes on to highlight this other model citizen, Epaphroditus. Um, Epaphroditus is basically a messenger, right? He's a message runner. Um, he's part of the church's postal system. Um, he, he's, he's from Philippi, he was from there, he was part of the church, and the Philippians had sent him to Paul with their, their news, but also to help Paul in his work. But do you see how Paul talks about him in verse 25? He is his brother, his co-worker, his fellow soldier. This guy's a star, right? A model gospel person. Uh, it seems that along the way to Paul, with, he's delivering... A news from the Philippians to Paul and help. He's bringing um, probably some financial help um, to Paul. Uh, it seems along the way, Epaphroditus gets sick, seriously sick, and he's um, on death's door. <clears throat> uh, it's, a bit of a, it's, it's a bit of guesswork, but probably what happened is that Epaphroditus got so sick along the way, he could have turned back. It would have been sensible for him to turn back and go back to Philippi to give up on his mission. Um, or at least he could have just stayed put where he was and just rested for a few months. Uh, but he didn't. He knew he was, he was... He wasn't just involved in bringing kind of insignificant news and maybe a, a little bit of extra help. He knew he was involved in the eternal work of the gospel. And he pressed on to get through to Paul even though it almost killed him. He was a messenger, but do you notice how Paul talks about him? As, as a messenger, he was a courageous gospel soldier. And Paul's sending him back with this letter. You can, uh, in, in verse 29, he, he says, uh, he's going to send him back and he, uh, he gives this commendation. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And that's interesting too, isn't it? And honour people like him. Um, God has ordered things so that we just happen to have the rubies with us today. Um, uh, your experiences, I'm sure, are different from Epaphroditus, but um, you're just ordinary people who have heard the gospel and have responded, I think, in an Epaphroditus-like, courageous way. Perhaps at times it's felt like almost dying. If not physically, then maybe in other ways. And we want to honour you and commend you to the Lord and encourage you to keep going, keep striving for the faith of the gospel, keep working out your salvation, knowing that God is powerfully at work in you. The reason Paul puts this here is so that we might learn to honour those like this 
who have a definite, in a definite and deliberate way given themselves for the work of the gospel. But there's another reason he's put it here, I think. It's also here for those of us who feel perhaps we're not in that category. Not all of us will literally risk our lives for the gospel. But if we are in Christ, then Paul wants, does want to stir us up to think how we can take part in the work of Christ, in our own way, with our own capacities and gifts. He kind of wants to spark, use these examples to spark our own imaginations. He wants us to put on gospel glasses and to look at our lives, not through the lens of how can I serve my own interests, but through the lens of how can I serve the interests of Jesus Christ. Do you see your church family as something to serve your own interests? An outlet for grumbling or arguing? Or do you see this church family as that new city within a city, that new community that you are now a citizen of through faith in Jesus and in which you get the extraordinary, joyful privilege of selflessly, courageously serving the interests of Jesus Christ. That's what our, because that's what our church really is, if we hear this passage rightly. This light on the south coast, shining the word of truth in a world that is dark and desperate, holding firmly to the word of life. Shaped by Jesus' own giving up of himself for us so that we can give ourselves up for him and for each other and for the world. Friends, I'm just going to finish by simply repeating the Apostles' words. It won't come up on the screen. Perhaps you can just um, even close your eyes to listen to them if you like. Uh, When I do that, I just want to encourage you to hear it not just as a word, not as a word from me, uh, not even ultimately as a word from The Apostle Paul lived 2,000 years ago, wrote this amazing letter. But through him to hear this as the inspired word of God to you. So dear friends, whatever happens, live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation." Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Our Father, we are in awe of the truth of the gospel, of the reality of who Jesus is, We praise you that 
He, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of you, our God and Father. Our Heavenly Father, strengthen us, please, to as we have always, for those of us who have been a Christian a long time, strengthen us to continue to work out our salvation. For those of us who are Christian a short time, Lord, we pray for us that we might continue to work out our salvation. For those who don't know you yet as Lord and Saviour, we pray by your Spirit, give them the gift of your salvation so that they might work it out into their life. We thank you that it is you who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfil your good purpose. We pray that our church might be this kind of shining star in the sky as we hold firmly to this word of the gospel as we let the gospel shape the way we relate to each other. We pray that it might have a big impact, not only on ourselves, but on the world around us, on this community. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.